Welcome to the Seacoast Vineyard Church podcast. We are a vineyard church located in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina, and we invite you to enjoy this message from God's Word. He and his family are headed to Zambia this next week to uh, teach and to prepare uh, leaders and missionaries. And so what we're going to do is pray for Doug and his family. Matter of fact, those that are right around Doug and, and his family over here, if you would just maybe just kind of lay hands on him and pray for him and safety and that uh, also that you would that the Lord would just fill him with great wisdom and his family with great wisdom and use him tremendously to encourage those that he uh, is headed to. I think they're going up and then down to Johannesburg and then back, is that right? All the way back over to Zambia. So, Father, right now we pray your presence on the Dorman family. We pray uh, first you go before them, prepare the hearts of the Zambians, Lord, that uh, the leaders, the pastors, the members of those churches, all that uh, that he is going to, Doug and his children are going to pour their hearts out for and to, Lord, fill them with your presence, uh, your wisdom, your word, and uh, make every provision, Lord, in Jesus' name. Thank you, Father. Bring him safely back to us. And Father, this morning we lift up London to you. We ask uh, especially for all of Great Britain, but also, Lord, for our vineyard brothers and sisters that are in London and around in that area who I know this morning met and prayed and are dispatching themselves out into the street to minister over there. We pray for our brothers and sisters as an extension of our churches in the vineyard, Lord, that you would be with them, be with the pastors, the members of the church as they reach out uh, to minister and to heal and to console and to be there this morning. Lord, we thank you that we live in a world, Lord, that is not without hope because you came into this world at a very dire time, so much very similar in many ways to the way it is today. And Lord, you came and you brought peace. You're the Prince of Peace. And now you have sent your people out to be that healing balm, Lord, to be that consolation. And we pray for the body of Christ throughout the world, Lord, that indeed you would use us for such a time as this. So, Father, encourage your people today throughout the world and our your brothers and sisters there in London and about England in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Well, is it darker up here than usual, or are my eyes just getting worse by the moment? That's probably what it is. It seems like my notes start getting, they fade, you know, like, uh, just, just like they go down and down and down. Uh, yeah, hey, listen, if you have not been baptized, you need to be baptized. This is not uh, just an add-on to your life. This is a very important moment. It is, it's a way of putting a stake in the ground and saying to the devil and saying uh, something you can look back to as well and say, remember that day when I went down in the water and I was cleansed and my old life was buried in Christ and I came out a new creature? Remember that? You can always go back to that day whenever you're having a hard time, a difficult time. Uh, if the devil's pushing on you and slamming on you, you go back to that date and you go, look, this is when I was serious about God and I'm still serious and I'm his, I belong to him. And so it's, we just don't go down there and, and, and go surfing. You know, that's great. But, uh, you know, we go down we go down to the water to be washed, to be cleansed and to make a memory of how wonderful God has been to us, to cleanse us of our sins, to wash us and establish a relationship with him that cannot be undone. Because when you come out of that water, you come out of that grave, you are a new person in Christ. That's what the Bible tells us. Now, no, I don't believe baptism saves you, but it is a picture. It is an ordinance of the church that we use as an opportunity to remind ourselves and a testimony to the world 
on the beach of how happy a situation this is. So if you, don't, if you haven't been baptized, please sign up. Let somebody know out in the lobby and come on down next Sunday and let's do it. Hey, we're in a series in a wonderful book called The Book of Ruth. If you have your app or uh, your Bible and uh, your Bible app or if you take the hot rod out for a spin like I do, the real deal with the leather and the, <laughs> and the print, uh, if you'll open it up to The Book of Ruth, we're going to be in the second chapter today. When we left Ruth last week, uh, we knew it was a dire situation. We have, a, we have a family that left Bethlehem and went to Moab, a terrible place, because of a famine. They left the house of bread, Bethlehem, left, left the house of bread, and they went to Moab to try to find bread. Well, the, the father, Elimelech, and the two sons, Malon and Kilion, die. And, but in the, before they died, they married two Moabite women. Well, now we have an older lady who's a widow, who has no sons alive, and there are two uh, daughter-in-laws with her. She's going to make her way back the 30 miles or so, back to Bethlehem, and she is distraught. Naomi is just, she cannot be consoled no matter what you say to her. Life does not look like it's going to go well for her. And so she just continues to complain and to pour it out on God and say, God has something against me. You ever felt like that? Like, and then she just felt like, hey, this is, this is what's going on. My sons had no kids. There's no grandsons. There's nobody to take care of me. Uh, but the two, the two daughter-in-laws, one of them, Ruth, Ruth goes, listen, I'm not going back. I'm not going to stay in Moab with my people. I'm committed to you, Naomi. I'm going to go with you back to a place I've never been, back to a place that was at one time very hostile to the Moabites, still didn't think much of them. And I'm going to go back because I am committed simply to you. Because I am not going to abandon you in your time of need, I am going to stick it out. And she goes so far as to say, even death can't separate us. Of course, that's not true. But, in the, but she's saying, this is how committed I am. I understand it could be tough. I understand it could be very difficult and challenging. But I'm going with you. What a beautiful picture of commitment and love. And so they make their way back. Uh, and they, the chapter 1 ends with this beautiful note. The barley harvest had just begun. There had been a famine. And though everything looks very bleak... At the end of chapter 1, we get that little bit of a postscript that says, maybe some things are turning around. The barley harvest had just begun. Maybe wheat and barley, about seven, eight weeks maybe total during that period of time when the harvest came in. And so we join Ruth and Naomi as they've gotten back to Bethlehem. And, uh, and you know, of course, they have nothing, nothing. They have no money, they have no food, but the people know Naomi, they knew her because it had been over 10 years since she had left, but they still remembered her. And so we joined them in chapter 2. If you flip your handout over, there are three fill-ins on the back side, uh, and we're going to do like we've done before. We're going to read the whole second chapter, church, because when we finish with this, you guys are going to be able to say... I read the Bible. <laughs> I actually read a whole book of the Bible if you come every week for these four weeks. And so they're really not that long. Uh, let me set this up too. Have you noticed that the characters in this story are single? Have you noticed that they're women? 
just don't 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 run past that, okay? Because this is an important point. Because a woman was without any help if she didn't have a man in her life back then. A widow of some age also could not hope to ever get married again. She couldn't. She probably couldn't have children, and uh, nobody would want her. And then here comes Ruth, a single, probably young to middle-aged, a lady who uh, has been married before. Right? So she's not a virgin in this situation. It would have been very different. And so she's got, and she's a Moabite. She's got things stacked against her that do not look good. And yet she is the hero in this story in many ways. And so, uh, so don't miss that. Um, in 2014, the summer of 2014, our country became a minority-majority country in the fact that 50.2% of our population is single. Did you know that? That's 16 and over. And, uh, and so those of you who are single in this church, I want to tell you, you're in the majority. So, <laughs> you know, don't feel like you're, you're out there alone. There are a great number of you. And also the Bible uses and has tremendous examples of, of single people being used by God, just as we're going to see in this story. And so uh, something to keep in mind, but the, the, whole, the whole story is stacked against Ruth and Naomi. That's the thing, that it does not look good. Now, there's a word, and if you look in your handout, it says doing hased. You're like, what is that, a dance? And you dance like, you know, doing the hased. That's it, or do it, do it, you know. No, you know, doing the hased. That's the reason I'm a musician. Uh, I don't dance, and there's always something between me and the crowd, uh, guitar. Uh, but doing hased, hased is a Hebrew word that it shows up in this story over and over again. And it shows up in Proverbs 31, 10 through 31, when it talks about the virtuous woman. Woman, but Hased is what someone who has, is in a stronger position is the love and the serving and the covering that is done to someone who is in a weaker position. But it's done because of the relationship, and it's it's done because probably there might have been a little history somewhere in that relationship. Now we see it over and over again in the Bible, but two thirds of the use of this word Hased when it comes to doing what we're going to see happen in this story this morning, it happens, the example is two-thirds of the time, God doing said for us. And that is that God, as the stronger one in the relationship, puts himself out there. Jesus is, of course, the greatest example, right? Puts himself out there to take care of the weaker one. But in that process, it also uh, kind of denotes that there is a, a reciprocation of sorts, not because of law, not that you have to pay back someone for said, but yet that relationship is so strong and it's so beautiful and there's such gratefulness in it that the person who has received that said wants to reciprocate. And so there's a relational said. Uh, portion to this as the stronger is the one in a, in a position of more power uh, serves the one in a weaker position but then the one in the weaker position because of such kindness because of going to such lengths to care for them that their heart suddenly is connected and they want to reciprocate as best they can so uh, that's the general you can look it up in your Bible dictionary that is kind of the theme and call it doing said because until it's done it's just a philosophy it's just a theology it's just a Hebrew word got it? we do said. 
It's not that it's, oh, hased is a beautiful Hebrew word. It means this, means that. No, we do it. If we don't do it, if we don't operate in it, it means nothing. It's just we're in class, right? We pass that one. Okay, I know what hased is, blah, you know. But it becomes real, and it takes on a life of its own, and it brings life when we do hased for one another. We do that. So that's the picture of what's about to happen. There's, like I said, there's a handout. And uh, we're going to take three things away from this this morning as we read this story. We're going to read the whole chapter. Are you ready? If you want to read, you can. Just so, you know, you can soak it in. That's one of the ways you imprint things. Uh, I go through things I don't really have to do or practices I don't have to do when I read Scripture. I never cut and paste. I know it takes me a lot longer. I type out every single word so that it goes here every time I type it out, every time I write it out. I read it, I write it, and that way I'm processing and I figure that I'm at a disadvantage. I need all the help I can get. And so this is going to help imprint it in my brain and in my heart. The more that I say it, the more that I read it, the more that I write it, the more it gets down inside of me. And so this, my prayer this morning is for all of us that as we read this, it goes deep. What a beautiful story. Now Naomi had a relative on her husband's side, a man of standing from the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. What a name. And Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, let me go to the fields and pick up the leftover grain behind anyone in whose eyes I find favor. Naomi said to her, go ahead, my daughter. So she went out, entered a field, and began to glean behind the harvesters. As it turned out, she was working in a field belonging to Boaz, who was from the clan of Elimelech. Just then Boaz arrived from Bethlehem and greeted the harvesters. The Lord be with you. The Lord bless you, they answered. Boaz asked the overseer of his harvesters, who does that young woman belong to? The overseer replied, she is the Moabite who came back from Moab with Naomi. She said, please let me glean and gather among the sheaves behind the harvesters. She came into the field and has remained here from morning till now, except for a short rest in the shelter. So Boaz said to Ruth, my daughter... Listen to me. Don't go and glean in another field and don't go away from here. Stay here with the women who work for me. Watch the field where the men are harvesting and follow along after the women. I have told the men not to lay a hand on you. And whenever you are thirsty, go and get a drink from the water jars the men have filled. At this, she bowed down with her face to the ground. She asked him, why have I found such favor in your eyes that you notice me a foreigner? Boaz replied, I've been told all about what you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband, how you left your father and mother and your homeland and came to live with a people you did not know before. May the Lord repay you for what you have done. May you be richly rewarded by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. May I continue to find favor in your eyes, my Lord. She said, you have She said, you have put me at ease by speaking kindly to your servant, though I do not have the standing of one of your servants. At mealtime, Boaz said to her, come over here, have some bread and dip it in the wine vinegar. When she sat down with the harvesters, she offered, he offered her some roasted grain. She ate all she wanted and had some left over. As she got up to glean, Boaz gave orders to his men, let her gather among the sheaves and don't reprimand her. Even pull out some stalks for her from the bundles and leave them for her to pick up and don't rebuke her. 
So Ruth gleaned in the field until evening. Then she threshed the barley she had gathered, and it amounted to about an ephah. She carried it back to town, and her mother-in-law saw how much she had gathered. Ruth also brought out and gave her what she had left over after she had eaten enough. Her mother-in-law asked her, Where did you glean today? Where did you work? Blessed be the man who took notice of you. Then Ruth told her mother-in-law about the one at whose place she had been working. The name of the man I work with today is Boaz, she said. The Lord bless him, Naomi said to her daughter-in-law. He has not stopped showing his kindness to the living and the dead, she added. That man is our close relative. He is one of our guardian redeemers. Then Ruth the Moabite said, He even said to me, Stay with my workers until they finish harvesting all my grain. Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, it will be good for you, my daughter, to go with the women who work for him, because in someone else's field you might be harmed. So Ruth stayed close to the women of Boaz to glean until the barley and wheat harvest were finished, and she lived with her mother-in-law. Wow, what a wonderful story. Father, bless the reading of your word. Breathe life on it this morning. We invite your presence, Holy Spirit. Come and teach us in Jesus' name. Amen. Your first feeling is this, and uh, it is this, character Trump's culture. Please do not attach anything to me with the word Trump's. Uh, leave that alone. I'm not going to be hijacked by anything. Trump's mean to excel. It means to surpass, to outdo. Okay, I'm not on either side of this. I'm not political. I'm just having to say that as a disclaimer. I didn't choose that. I chose it because it's a verb that works. Character Trump's culture, right? The verb, it means that something overpowers or outweighs what is going on in culture. And look at Boaz. I mean, it calls him a man of standing. That is uh, a mighty man of strength. This is the first time we meet Boaz, and uh, the word has a history that can mean a warrior. It can mean that uh, he knew how to war, he knew how to fight. Uh, though this this place in the scripture may not have that necessary application, but it also means that uh, you know that he is a, a person that can be depended on. He's a person who can take control of situations, and that uh, he's just he knows who he is, and he goes and he. Takes takes care of business. It means he is a real man of stature. It carries with it also a feeling that he's wealthy, also that, uh, you know, he is steady and, and just there. And I, I just think this is such a great story because you've got Ruth who is out of her element, you know, and there she is in this field just trying to get some food for her and her mother-in-law. And then here comes a man, a man of stature. Riding in. This is like a movie, girls. Y'all should be going, oh, you know, we haven't even seen the rest of the story yet. I mean, up, up rides Boaz, and what a name, huh? Boaz, you know, man of strength. And here he comes, of course. She's a woman of strength. She's out there in the field and she is working. And so the character of Boaz, even his name carries that description. Uh, I love this part of Boaz, too. When he shows up, what does he say uh, to his workers, to his employees? The Lord be with you, right? And what do they say back? The Lord bless you, yeah. Imagine working at a place when the first thing you hear in the morning on the job is the Lord be with you. I mean, this, this 
shows a man of character that is not afraid of his faith. You know, he is, he is right there. He's steadfast. And it's also that his employees look at him and go, yeah, you know, we know this is the way this business is run. You know, the Lord bless you. And uh, so this is all speaking to Boaz being the person that is the pinnacle and the, the point, the focus suddenly shifts in these scenes in chapter 2 to him. Now, Ruth again, you know, if you read down in, I think it's Ruth 3.11, we won't go over there, but in Ruth 3.11, she is described as a woman of noble character. The Hebrew words uh, are similar, except one's male, one's female. And the female, the last part, the uh, chael, is, is the same for the man and the woman. In other words, both of them had deep character. Ruth did, and so did Boaz. And um, look at the culture that they were both in at the time and how their character rose to the top of all this. Six times Ruth is called a Moabite. Six times. Now, that's not a compliment. Uh, the storyteller, the one who is writing this story, is trying to let us know that this woman, this woman of great character, grew up in a culture that did not like her, did not appreciate her. Now she's transferred into another culture of which does not appreciate any Moabites, especially a Moabite woman who could be taken advantage of so easily in this situation. And yet Ruth has a reputation already of noble character. Why? Because she's so committed to her mother-in-law. The whole town in Bethlehem is talking about it. Look at this young woman. She doesn't have a husband. She's taking care of her mother-in-law who, who is distraught. And, and, you know, when I think of Naomi, I think of hearing all the time in the house, Oh, God, why me? You know, all the time. And then there's Ruth. You know, I'm going out. I'm going out to work. I'm going out to take care of us. And, and Naomi is still just wringing her hands because she's so depressed. And she sees no future at all for her. Yeah, Ruth is a woman of character. Uh, the Boaz's men respect him. They uh, work hard for him. And, and Ruth, her mother-in-law, has not quite gotten there where she appreciates Naomi to appreciate Ruth yet as much as she should. But that just shows Hased uh, even maybe more in a profound way because Hased works that blessing even when the other person doesn't see it. You get this? So the Hased, that work uh, that Ruth is doing for Naomi is yet for her to catch on and see it. But we got two more chapters to go. So uh, you're going to see it as it comes. And of course, here comes Boaz, right? As another exemplary example of someone showing Hased to Ruth. So we've got this, this whole issue going on. Character trumps culture. No matter what culture you're raised in, no matter what culture you find yourself in, your character will speak louder than the culture you're living in. It's something that you will take with you every single day. And it will have something to say to people every day they see you. Even if the whole of culture is corrupt around you. Even if there's challenges, challenges around you that threaten uh, the, all of the uh, structure of lives around you. When your character stays in place and it's firm, it speaks a great word to people. No one can take that from you. Only you can gain it and only you can lose it. And God, you know, I'm not putting the emphasis on our greatness or any of that. But how we respond to the toughest times in our life is where character is built. 
Ruth is responding right now in such a way that her character is growing even more so. Boaz says, I've heard about you. I've heard that you take care of your mom, your mother-in-law. I heard. And so it is the tough times, my brothers and sisters, that we are able to build character into our lives. And that character speaks as much as our words speak to other people. And so it's something very special. Culture cannot... It cannot kill off your character. It doesn't have to. No matter what culture says to you and keeps repeating to you, you're not pretty enough, you're not smart enough, you weren't born to the right family, you don't have enough money, you don't have enough this. None of that has anything to do with character. Your character transcends all of that. And people will see that. And they saw it in Ruth. And Boaz saw it in Ruth. So no matter what situation we find ourselves in, when you're talking to your children, and you're teaching them, you're trying to help them with understanding what character is, read the story of Ruth to them. Read it to them and say, look, this woman had everything going against her. But look how she lived her life. And I know none of us have perfect character. I know that we're all, you know, we've all blown it. But you know what you have? You have today, right now. You are in church on this Sunday where we're talking about this. That means right now in this moment it starts anew. Right now. So right now you can just say to the Lord, you know, I see it, God. I say, help build in me a character that will not be crushed by my culture. Teach me how to have character and conviction in my life so that there is nothing that can rob me in my culture, in the the area we live in, whatever the values are, that I stay consistent to the values that I know you hold for me, Lord. Teach me to stay with them and to be an honest person, a persistent person in what I know to be right. And that will rise above whatever culture you're in. It will get noticed just like Ruth's getting noticed. So this isn't about, we all got enough guilt about how we failed in, in ways and character. And so, Lord, right now, I just ask for you to take this whole group, all of us right here, you know, take away because you extended has said to us in Jesus Christ, when we were the furthest away from you, Lord, when we blew it and our character just was at its most lowest point, you came and you died for us. So now, Lord, I pray for you to sweep across all of us in our heart and purify and cleanse us, Lord, of that guilt and all of that so that today can be the day of beginning a new building of character in all of our lives. And we've got to have your help to do it, Lord. We can't do it without you. So come, Lord. So... Just shake your hands like that and drop off the, the past. You know, say, all right, go on, go on, go on, go on, go on, go on, right? Okay, now we got now. We got right now. That's all we've got. Tomorrow, we have built one day into our character. The next day, two days, three days, four days, five days, and off we go. Before you know it, it'll be this time next year, right? So this is the day. Character trumps culture. And um, notice what Boaz told his men. He said, don't touch her. Does that show character? You know, in that word is not just physically touched, but in that Hebrew word is also don't hoot at her. Really? That's the way the commentary said, don't hoot. You know, ooh, baby, you know, that kind of thing. (laughs) None of that. None of that, you know, and no touching. I mean, Boaz is a man of character. He's like, don't do it. You guys, and I can see the foreman now. Yes, sir. As a matter of fact, all through... I'm not going to have time for all this. I get so excited about this. But there are, uh, i got to point this out. 
When you get to uh, the sixth, the eighth verse, boy, this font's getting smaller. Uh, <laughs> look, look what, so Boaz said to Ruth, my daughter, listen to me. Don't go and glean in another field. Why did he say that? Because she was leaving. Somebody had done something. They had hooted at her. They had touched her. We don't know exactly. But he wouldn't say that unless there was some reason for it. And don't go away from here. Don't go to another field. I know you've got reason to do it, but don't do it. Okay, I got you covered on this. Don't go away from here. Stay here with the women who work for me. Stay in that group. These are Israelite women. You'll be safer there with them. Stay with them. So he's protecting her, right? Because she evidently had been maybe out by herself and where she was easy pickings for maybe some of the male workers. And so he's like, no, you come over here and you stay with the women who work for me. These aren't gleaners. These are workers. They work for me, my employees. Watch the field where the men are harvesting. Know where they are, right? And follow along. Don't get up there. Get behind them. Follow along after the women. I have told the men not to lay a hand on you or hoot at you. You can write that in there. It's okay. (laughs) And whenever you are thirsty, go and get a drink from the water jars. Who? The men have filled. The men have filled because the women jars would have been off somewhere else. Maybe uh, where she would have been more susceptible to attack or whatever. And I think he sent in the signal to the men. Like, dudes, don't touch that girl. Don't touch her. She gets to drink from your jar. I think there's a lesson in that to the men. Like, I got my eyes on you. I got my eyes on her. You leave her alone. You protect her. That's a man of character. A man of character. So, there's so much in in the word that that we can dig out. Secondly, okay, let's move on. Secondly is this. Initiative trumps status. Initiative trumps status. Ruth 2.2 says, let me go to the field. This is Ruth. Ruth's not going to stay at home with her mother-in-law and go, oh, man. What's happening? I can't believe it. Was anybody going to give us food? Oh, you know, I'm a poor Moabite. I'm 30 miles from home. Oh, my gosh. I'm with my mother-in-law. Please. No, what does she do? Let me go to the field. Let me go to work. Let me go to work. Let me get out, Mom, mother-in-law, and let me go see if I can't get us some food. She takes the initiative, no matter the status of her being a widow, a young widow, a Moabite, she takes the initiative to step up to the plate and do something about her situation, despite the status that everyone looking at her, staring at her, and all. She wants to do something about it. Look at Ruth 2.1, let me go to the field. Ruth 2.2, uh, pick up the leftover grain behind what? Anyone in whose favor or in whose eyes I find favor. This is a smart lady. She's like, if anybody shows me favor, I'm sliding up right behind them. So she's expecting something good. She's expecting some favor from people. She has a, you know, for lack of a better phrase, she has a a positive outlook that someone, someone is going to notice her and is going to let her work. So she leaves home not depressed going, I don't know what I'm going to do. Nobody's going to let me work. A Moabite woman here, widowed. She's not going to, nobody's going to let me work. No, she's like, 
going to find somebody that will let me fall in right behind them and work with them that will show me favor. She gets out and she goes to work. She shows initiative despite the status of her life. And it wasn't a pretty one that she was in. Ruth 2.5b says, you know, here comes Boaz. And Boaz goes, who does that woman belong to? Something stood out. Well, she's working. That's one thing she stood out. She is killing it. She's just trying to get the job done, trying to get some food for, for her and her mother-in-law. And so she stood out that way. She was a Moabite too. I'm sure she stood out in some ways, but I think it was the work. And uh, look at what the foreman says in Ruth 2.6. She is the Moabite who came from Moab. Duh. Is that redundant? She's the Moabite who came from Moab. Oh, well, I thought she was the Moabite that came from Israel. <laughs> you know? <laughs> no, 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 no. This is the foreman saying, hey, boss, don't you realize this is a Moabite woman? Nailed it again and again. Boaz won't have any of it. He's like, no. You know what? Just look at this lady working, showing initiative. She's out there doing what she can. Ruth 2, 7b says, she has remained here. This is the foreman describing her. She has remained here from morning until now. She has been steady at it, working hard from the morning right until the evening. It says, except for a short rest. Man, that's integrity. Working, working, working. She takes a very... Now, she's driven by necessity. There's no doubt about it. She's not looking for a handout. She's working hard. And she's looking for opportunity. And she's taking advantage of it right at that moment. She's got a field, and she's been working it. Boaz, uh, Ruth 2.11, Boaz had heard of her leaving her, fa- you know, her father and her mother in her homeland. The, the, these small towns, they didn't have internet, they didn't have anything, you know. It was just talking gossip. So the word had gotten around about Ruth. Everybody knew who she was. They knew the story. He had heard the story. Now he gets to see her with his own eyes and he sees what she's doing. Sees the initiative. And uh, Ruth 2.17, notice this. So Ruth gleaned in the field until evening. From morning till the sun came up, right on until the evening when the sun was going down. Then she threshed the barley she had gathered. And it amounted to an ephah. And you go, oh, what is that? Let me, let me explain this to you just so you don't want to go into all the details. But she threshed and she gleaned enough barley that it would feed two women for more than a week. That was in one day. One day. Enough barley for probably eight days. If she kept it up at that rate through the whole harvest, maybe seven weeks or so, if she kept it up, she would glean enough barley and wheat because that would have been two harvests to take care of she and Naomi for two-thirds of the year. Just in those six weeks. This woman did not let her situation get her down. No matter her status in life, she got up, she did something about it, she went to work, and God honored that. And um, I know when some went through the recession, I watched people handle it different ways. I watched some people get very depressed, and some people get very down and bail out. And I watched other people go, I'm going to do what I can do. Yeah, I'm going to get up. I'm going to go to work every day. And if I don't get any work, I'm going to work every day. I'm going to work. I'm going to show some initiative. I'm going to get out and I'm going to do it. That speaks to character as well. And it did in Ruth's life. 
And we've already covered this back in our giving, you know, uh, our blessed life series when we know that God does bless initiative. You do what you can do. And then you can't control what you can't do. But you do what you can do. You get out and you show some initiative. And that's exactly what Ruth did. So no matter your culture, your character counts considerably more. No matter your status in life, take the initiative. Someone will notice. Somebody's going to notice that you're working hard. You keep at it. You stay at it. You put yourself in a position. Look for someone, as Ruth did, that would allow her to glean. So kept looking, kept trying to find a spot where she could work, where someone would allow it. And then she trusted God. She trusted God to be able to take care of her. And uh, your third one here is this, and that is sovereignty trumps circumstances. Sovereignty trumps circumstances. This is the thing, the big thing in this story that we don't control, praise God. We don't control how God sovereignly moves in our lives. There are holes and gaps in our lives that we try to fill and we try to make up for that only God can do. And trusting Him in those moments is paramount. Look, look at this. Ruth 2, 3 through B says, As it turned out, she was working in a field belonging to Boaz. As it turned out. You know what it literally says? As her chance chanced. <laughs> As her chance chanced. That's what it means. Like, do you think that's just happenstance? That she was in the field with Boaz, which we're going to find out is a is kin, as we've already read, to Elimelech? You know, on her father-in-law's side? When her chance chanced. That is speaking to the fact that there are more things going on behind the scene that you can't see. There's God moving in your life, moving in Ruth's life, and Naomi's life in ways you can't see. And it's a hyperbolic irony, as they call it. And look at Ruth 2.4. Then it goes, just then Boaz arrived. <laughs> just then. The NIV is a terrible translation for that. Uh, it's not because just then has this uh, sense of time with it, like just at that moment. But that's really, it, that's not what it means. It, it, it would be better to say it, wouldn't you know? Boaz showed up. <laughs> That's the way it literally says it. It doesn't have a time element to it. It's just this thing that God did, and it points to God's sovereign work in her life. And these are the parts that we don't control, but we can have faith and we have confidence in. That God is sovereignly working behind the scenes and putting things together in such a way that we can't see it at the time. That's where faith is. And that's, I think, where Ruth was. She stepped out and she did what she knew to do. And she continued at it and she prayed at it. But all the time, God was moving the pieces around into certain positions. And by the time we hit the end of this book, you're going to be amazed at what happens. It's just a, a, a glorious story. Ruth 2.20 and verse B, it says, This man... Naomi says is our kinsman redeemer. And that's what it literally means. And I'll get into more of that next week. But this is a big piece of the picture. You know, the puzzle to this whole thing. And so, I want you to know something. You can't bad circumstance God. You just can't do it. You can't say, oh, my circumstance is too bad. No. You know, I'm a widow. I'm in another country. I don't have any money. I don't have any help. I'm just going to stay home. 
you know, no, no, no. I'm going to get out. I'm going to go do something. I'm going to let my character speak for me. I'm going to go to work and I'm going to say, God, you're doing something. You're working in my life. Now, let me see it. Let me see it. Let me see it. Show it to me, God. Show it to me. And that is a walk of faith. And that is the story of Ruth. But it's not just the story of Ruth. It's the story of Jesus extending his said to us, isn't it? I mean, when I, this morning when I was praying, I could just see Boaz riding in on that horse. And I saw my Savior. I saw him riding in, you know, into the field where he found me. I was slaving away, you know, and trying to find some meaning in life. And trying to find some hope for my life. And in, in comes the Savior. Extending has said to me and has extended it over and over and over for 46 years again and again and again to me. Jesus put up, they said, Who, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Remember that in John? I think it was Nathaniel said that. Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Well, yeah. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> you know? Right? His own brothers and sisters thought he was crazy. You know, is this Joseph's son? What? Jesus. Jesus, the sovereignty of God to work in the little details of life in the very most important moments of our lives. That's our kinsman redeemer and that's our Lord. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word this morning. Jesus, today, Lord, first I want to pray, Lord, for any single folks in this church who might be discouraged right now, Lord, that you work in marriage, you work in singles, you work in any person anywhere where you will where we will submit and resign ourselves to serving you and following you, Lord. It makes no difference because character will trump culture, Lord. And initiative will trump status of God and sovereignty. Your sovereignty trumps it all. And so I pray for anyone who feels like maybe they're a little out of sync. The 50.2%, Lord, of us whom you are moving in and using. I pray your blessings on our brothers and sisters right now. And Lord, I pray for any widows here as well. Those who have lost mates, spouses. I pray for you. You're... <laughs> You're our Lord, our Savior, but you're one who sticks closer than a brother to us. You are our Boaz, God. And I pray for those who have lost someone very special in their life that you would come now riding in, Lord, and you would show they're not alone. He would throw your cloak over their shoulders and say, you're mine. You're mine. Thank you, Lord. Thanks for listening to the Seacoast Vineyard Podcast. You can learn more about us and access a video archive of our messages by visiting seacoastvineyard.com. If you feel led to support us financially through a one-time or recurring gift, please click on the Give tab at our website or download the PushPay app on your smartphone and search for Seacoast Vineyard Church.